ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وسلم يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن الا وانتم مسلمون يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم اعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما اما بعد I want to highlight this specific teaching from our, from our beloved prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam because many if not all of our youth are now transitioning from the school year into that summer time phase the Prophet ﷺ, there are two blessings that many people fail to take advantage of properly and appropriately, good health and free time. In another hadith in which the, the Prophet ﷺ famously say, take, said, take advantage of five before five, what's interesting within that hadith, he's teaching us to deeply reflect on the blessings that we have in general for all of us, but especially for the youth, because when he says, take advantage of your youth before your old age, that message is specifically focused on those who, who that would apply to, clearly the youth. Take advantage of your time before you become busy, your health before you become sick, your, your wealth before, before poverty, your life before death. When the Prophet teaches us these things, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the reality is, the majority of the time, these concepts are understood more deeply and more thoroughly by those who may be a little bit older, perhaps a little bit wiser. And those beloved parents, elders, they're often the ones trying to, to relay that message to their kids, to their students, to the youth. There's a secret that we learn in the Qur'an that'll help us in trying to deliver this message to our youth, to our kids, for the teachers, to their students. And that secret is the practice of active listening. It's incredible. When you go through the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, it was known that he was an extremely aware and active listener. Even if the person speaking to him was saying things he didn't want to listen to. They could have been saying things that were rude and disrespectful. Completely unacceptable things. So they may say X, Y, and Z. And subhanAllah, out of courtesy, the Prophet ﷺ, he would ask, are you done? This is a heated, a heated situation. This isn't casual, relaxed, dinner time conversation. This is someone saying putrid things to him. And he asks, are you done? Yes. And then the Prophet would recite Qur'an, often He was a very present listener. And if that's how he was with people saying things that nobody would want to hear, then how active of a listener do you think he was when he was listening to people he loved saying things that, yes, he would have wanted to hear? The consistent norm in his character, is he was a present an active listener, 
one of the best examples that we find in the Qur'an that ties in with this concept of parenting and active listening is none other than the wisdom shown in Luqman al-Hakim, Luqman the wise. He's most known for this specific beautiful passage which really a whole dissertation can be written just about the, the, the type of parenting that is present and active in that scenario. When you look at the advice that he's giving his son, what's very interesting, and, and this, this is where the, the secret is hidden within that passage, he's offering his son golden advice. And you notice something when you go through that passage. If you've never gone through it, go through it today, Surah 31, Surah Luqman. And one ayah after another, one piece of advice after another, after another, after another. And what, what's the secret? What's the, the, the beautiful hidden wrinkle in this entire passage? The whole time, it's implied that his son is listening to him. It's not just that he's speaking and his son is walking away from him or is not paying attention or... No, the implication is very clear. The son is present and listening and absorbing that advice. That doesn't happen if before the father is offering this beautiful advice to the son, that doesn't happen unless the father before that was an active listener himself with his son. If you want people to listen to you, then first you must listen to them. So the clear implication here is that the father was already an active listener when he would speak with his son. He wouldn't just tell his son what to do and what not to do. That has its time and its place in parenting. But what's more important, he wouldn't just speak to his son, but he would also listen. And because he must have been lending a listening ear, he must have already been an active parent. He must have already been a present parent, actively involved in the, in, in the son's life. Therefore, when the time comes for him to speak, the son is all ears. The son is absorbing it. This is something that, that we can learn from his example. Let's take a step back and reflect as parents, as teachers, perhaps as elders, are we playing that role of listening to our kids, listening to our youth? Are we listening to them? Is it even safe enough of a space for them to feel like they can speak and be heard it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to agree with what they say. Oftentimes, you probably won't. I mean, if we think back to when we were their age, it, there's a similar pattern. If we want them to listen to us, let's take a step back and look at the best example and the example of the Prophet ﷺ. The best stories are the stories in the Qur'an. How can we learn from those, especially when it comes to parenting, when it comes to teaching? There are a lot of parallels between parenting and teaching. Let's take a step back and ask ourselves, how are we doing in terms of not just speaking to our kids or telling them different things that has its time and its place, but what about the other way around? Are we asking them, tell me something good about your day at school, tell me something bad about your day at school, tell me something sweet, something sour. I want to listen to you. Why do you have to frame it in that way? Because every parent knows this. You ask your kid, how's your day at school? Good. And there, there's, you want more. 
You want them to share. Was there something good that happened at school that you're willing to share with me? Or was there something bad that happened at school that you're willing to share with me? If the child does not already feel comfortable enough communicating with the parent in general, then how can the parent expect the child to go to them and to open up to them the same day that they're bullied at school? It has to feel like a safe space to begin with, to start with, and then once different things come up along the way, good, bad, or ugly, whatever it may be, they know something happens, even if it's good, I know that I'm, I'm willing, there's this guaranteed pocket of time, as narrow as it may be, where I can share something valuable to me from my day, good or bad, and I'm going to be heard, I'm going to be seen, I'm going to be loved, I'm going to be validated. That's up to us as the parents, as the teachers, as the elders. We need to initiate that. We need to cultivate. No one is saying it's easy. This is very difficult. But we need to at least try to pluck the fruit from these stories in the Quran, like Luqman al-Hakim, Luqman the wise. How can I learn from his story? Let me, let me take some fruit from that story. Let me taste the sweetness of it. And then let me benefit from that nutrition because it's not just sweet for your taste buds. It's actually good for your body. It has nourishment. It has vitamins that you need. Let me try to live that as best I can. Let me try to take these ideas and live them as best I can. When Allah Azza wa Jal refers to the story of Sayyidina Yusuf, a story that we're all familiar with in some capacity, from the get-go, from the beginning of the surah, نَحْنُ نَقُصُّ عَلَيْكَ أَحْسَنَ الْقَصَصِ بِمَا أَوْحَيْنَا إِلَيْكَ فِي هَذَا الْقُرْآنِ So if Allah is describing this story as the best of stories, we're supposed to pay extra attention. What is the first thing that's mentioned? The son is speaking to the father, and the father is actively listening. The son doesn't open up to the father when he unexpectedly has this incredible dream, he doesn't automatically go to the father and open up to him and speak to him about that if he didn't already feel comfortable. The father was already putting in the work before that by being present, by being active, by showing love and kindness and compassion. That work was already being put in first. That time and effort was already being put in. And then when something unexpected, something perhaps random comes up of significance, the, the knee-jerk response, so to speak, for the child, let me go to my dad, I need to open up to him. I want to share this with him. And the father is listening. And the father offers advice. Don't go and tell your brothers about the story. Shaitan may cause some problems. And we know how the story ends up unfolding. At the beginning of the story, you find Prophet Yusuf salam trusting his father and opening up to him. At the end of the story, you find Prophet Yusuf trusting his father and opening up to him. Ya Abati, this is the dream that I had so long ago. It's, it's coming to, remember back then, years ago, look at his road, look at the roller coaster of challenges that he went through. The bad and then the good. And the entire surah is a perfect mirror. There's perfect symmetry. When you look at the beginning of the story, it, it mimics the end of the story. The second point mimics the second to last point. That's how the entire surah is. And then when he's at rock bottom, السلام, when he's in jail, that's when things switch from getting worse and worse and worse seemingly to the human eye. And then the king has the dream. 
At the beginning of the story, there's a dream. At the, in the middle, there's a dream. At the end, there's a dream. The dream coming to fruition, being fulfilled, basically. There was that consistency from the beginning to the end of the story. He trusts his father, he loves his father, and he feels like there's a safe enough space for him to open up. Dreams are some of the closest things to a person's heart and soul, especially when it's a dream of substance, a dream of meaning. It can literally be a dream, or figuratively, like someone may dream big and they have this vision and they want to do this incredible thing. When the Prophet ﷺ, when he teaches us that there are these two blessings that many people fail to take advantage of, good health and free time, as parents, we want our kids to understand this and we want them to just not play video games all day, every day. We want them to spend some time with Qur'an. We want them to spend some time doing good, spend some time giving back, especially if you're a teenager and if you're in circumstances where you have your strength and you have some free time and you have these capabilities that you're not always going to have access to, definitely not in the same capacity, in the same way, if we want them to listen to us when we remind them that, hey, let's try to do some good with the free time that you have and the health that Allah has given you, if we want them to listen, then we need to take a step back and see, okay, are we doing our part to set the stage? Are we doing our part to, to, to set the table before serving the food? That's really the hard work. When you look at the life of the Prophet and you don't, you don't find Sahaba jumping in front of him when things you know, go sideways during the Battle of Uhud. That doesn't happen without deep, profound, sincere love. When arrows are being shot at the Prophet and they're jumping in front of them. They, they would rather that arrow pierce their flesh than the Prophet That cannot happen if it's forced. That doesn't have, you can't force that. That has to come from your heart of hearts. That has to come from deep within. That has to come from a place of love. That has to come from, from something very sacred and very special. And how is the Prophet described, By ironically, someone on the other side of negotiation at the, at the, the, the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, this person, they were on the other side. They're, they're on the side of Quraysh in this negotiation process. And they're witnessing how much love the Sahaba they had for the Prophet ﷺ. And he went back to his people. He became Muslim. He went back to his people in, uh, in Ta'if, the people of Thaqif. And he's telling them, I've, I've been to the palaces in, in Rome, in Persia. I've been to all these different places. And I've seen the head leader in all of these. Nobody is loved by their followers like the Prophet by his followers. That doesn't happen without the Prophet showing them love first. And then it was reciprocated. Giving them the time of day first. In Medina, the kids, they felt seen and heard by him. When he goes out of his way to go to the, the younger brother of Anas ibn Malik and he asks, He's head of state in Medina, and he's going to this, this innocent little boy in his community and asking him about his pet bird that had died. He's planting seeds in the hearts of people, and they come to fruition, but he does his part first, and then it ends up coming 
full circle. None of this is easy, but we ask Allah to help us and enable us and give us tawfiq so we can try our best. Parenting in general is difficult. In this country is difficult. During this time is difficult. And as a religious minority in this society is difficult. And there's this onslaught everywhere, not just regarding people and the fitrah, but especially the fitrah within the youth. There's so many challenges against us. Every Friday, the Prophet encourages us to connect with which surah? Surah Al-Kahf. What's the first primary story mentioned? The youth of the cave. They were small in number, but their sincerity was deep. And the quality of their sincerity, of their iman was deep. Maximum, they were seven, their dog was eight. It wasn't 700, 700,000, 7 million, 7 billion. But even if you're small in number, when you're sincerely trying your best to do the right thing in the right way, then Allah will open more doors for you than you could have ever imagined. They did their part first, the youth of the cave. And look at how much more Allah helped them in return. And look at the incredible miracles Allah made happen for them. They walked towards Allah and look at what Allah did in return. We ask Allah to guide us and forgive us. We ask Allah to help us as parents in general. And we ask Allah to protect our youth always. Ameen Rabbil Alameen. Subhana Rabbika Rabbil Izzati Amma Yasifun. Wa salamun ala al-mursaleen. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa salatu wa salamu ala Rasulullah. وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي إيه الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما صلى الله على محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم. There's a consistent theme in our deen as a whole that the way we're supposed to think is that we take initiative as best we can, when we can, how we can, where we can. Our deen is a deen of action. Our deen is a deen, it's a way of life that requires us to take initiative, to be proactive. There's a time and a place to be reactive, there's no question. But the way that we think is we want to try to focus on doing things proactively. We want to try to focus on prevention before cure. Both have their time and their place, but an ounce of prevention, as the saying goes, is worth a pound of cure. The first step when it comes to any concept, but especially this one, this is what we're focusing on today. The first step, the way that we think has to be the first step that's taken in order for this situation, whatever it is, to improve. I need to take step one. I need to do what I can. I need to look at what can I adjust? What can I shuffle? What are some even small changes that I can make? Our deen is a deen of responsibility and accountability. Our deen is a deen of reflection. Step one, let me look within. Let me look inside of myself. Is there something? Because it's easy to, to blame the other. It's easy to throw external blame regarding whatever situation. That's not hard. And there may be truth to it. No one is saying otherwise. But if someone is not looking internally first, then they're missing the forest for the trees. And th th this concept, this message, it goes back to the beginning of time. What was the response of Adam salam? What was the response of Iblis? The response of Adam was to take accountability. 
Ya Allah, we made a mistake, forgive us. Have mercy on us. And if you don't forgive us and have mercy on us, then, then we're in a state of complete loss. A sense of responsibility. Step one, let me look internally. Adam could have included a portion of that dua blaming Iblis, and that would be true. Ya Allah, he tricked me, and I didn't know any better, and I didn't think he was going to lie, and that would be true, but that's not even mentioned. The core of it, Ya Allah, I made a mistake, forgive me. Iblis took no accountability, took no responsibility, did not look internally, he only looked externally, and interestingly enough, he looked externally and blamed Allah. He blamed Allah Azza wa Jal for his mistake. There are very deep lessons that we can take from this. In a nutshell, one took responsibility and tried to fix things, and one didn't. It's a very simple but effective step one. What, what, what's something that I can change, that I can try to change, that I can adjust? If there's a parent trying to get through to their child and they're constantly, a lot of the time it comes from a lot of understandable fear. But if they're constantly being harsh and rigid with their kid, even if they want good for them, but the way that's coming out is with a little extra hot sauce, if you know what I mean, they can tone it back a little bit. The end goal, they want their child to do good, they want their child to avoid bad, they want them to be around good friends, not around bad friends. That's the end goal. Okay, how can I deliver this message to them? And I'll conclude with a powerful ayah in the Qur'an, Surah Ali Imran. This ayah forces you to stop in your tracks anytime you come across it. Think of after Uhud. Think of the chaos that, that, that happened, and how many companions lost their lives, and how difficult that was. What does Allah say to the Prophet ﷺ? فَبِمَا رَحْمَةٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ لِنْتَ لَهُمْ وَلَوْ كُنْتَ فَضًّا غَلِيظَ الْقَلْبِ لَمْ فَضُّ مِنْ حَوْلِكَ فَعَفُوا عَنْهُمْ وَاسْتَغْفِرْ لَهُمْ وَشَاوِرْهُمْ فِي الْأَمْرِ فَإِذَا عَزَمْتَ فَتَوَكَلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ Allah is, this isn't just Allah speaking to the Prophet, but the Sahaba, because when the revelation would come, the Prophet, he, would, he wouldn't just keep it to himself, he would recite it. He would teach. He had scribes, they would write it down. Allah is saying here, if it wasn't for the mercy, that it's from the mercy of Allah that you're, you're, you're laying, you're, you're easy going, you're gentle with them, with your community. And if you were harsh in your approach, then they would flee from you, and they'd never come back. It's not just about the message, but how is that message being delivered? If the Prophet could have taught La ilaha illallah, it could have been the same message, but if he delivered it in a way that's harsh, Allah is saying they would have, they would have fled. So the point is, yes, there's the message, but there's also the delivery. If you were harsh in your approach, then they would flee from you. So pardon them, seek forgiveness for them, and keep them involved in the community. They made a bad mistake, they were also sincere people that made a mistake. And Allah says that He forgave them. There's so much healing within this ayah and the part that I'm plucking to focus on, the approach of the Prophet ﷺ. The kindness, the love, the mercy was extremely effective. And Allah says, and if it was different, then the results would have been very different. We ask Allah to help us to take ideas 
from these reminders and put them into practice as best we can. We ask Allah to forgive all of us. We ask Allah to make it easy for all of us to go in the right direction. We ask Allah to help all of us as it relates to our children, as it relates to our youth, as it relates to our students, as it relates to the next generation. We ask Allah to help us in regards to trying our best to help them. And we ask Allah to help us to help them with kindness and guidance and mercy. We ask Allah to help us to embody these concepts as best we can. We ask Allah to protect them always. We ask Allah to make our children and our spouses the coolness of our eyes. Rabbana hablana min azwajina wa dhuriyatina qurwata a'yun wa ja'ana lil muttaqina imama. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana wa fil akhirati hasana wa qin adhab al-nar. We ask Allah to make it easy for us to take beneficial reminders and put them into practice as best we can. Let's make the intention now to take anything good from this and put it into practice between now and next Friday. Allahumma alif bayna qulubina wa aslih dhata baynina wa waqtum bil baqiyatu salihati a'malana rabbana atina min ladunka rahma wa hayyilan min amrina rashada wa ma umiru illa liyabudu Allahum ukhlasina lahu dina hunafa wa yuqimu salata wa yuqimu salata wa thalika dinu al-qayyima wa aqimu salata. الله أكبر الله أكبر أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمدا رسول الله حي على الصلاة حي